Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'd love to uh, get one in your hands that you can use and follow along. If you're new to the Bible, maybe someone next to you could help you, but we also will project the verses on the screen. We take time as a church to hear from God's Word, and uh, the Bible is God's very Word. It's a way that God speaks to us. He certainly reveals himself through his creation, but he reveals himself in a significant way through his word. And his word is living. So God is a living God who speaks to us, and we experience uh, again and again him showing us the truth through the Bible, speaking to our life situations, and through that and the power of the Holy Spirit conforming us more and more to Jesus Christ. So for us, it's an important part of our time. Uh, Let me just mention before we get into today's uh, message from Mark entitled Sent that we have at the end of the month um, a fall festival as a church that we're looking forward to and I believe we'll have invitations if they're not out now they'll be out next week for you to to uh, share with others. Uh, We'll be celebrating it's on Saturday the 26th right Um, here on Bradford Common. It's an opportunity to to be together as a church family, and there'll be things for the kids to do, and fun things to do, and, and food to eat. Um, I think we're working on some barbecue catering and stuff like that, which sounds really good. Um, and it, and uh, just a good time to be together, and a real excellent time to invite friends um, to a fall festival. And uh, we want to be his witnesses in the greater Haverhill area, and there's lots of ways that we do that, and a very practical way to do that is just to be together and enjoy time and invite friends to come and see what Christians look like and to realize, wait a second, maybe they're not so weird and, and maybe they do have something substantial to, uh, to build my life on. God will use those times. And I, and I would say, probably for all of us and those of us in this congregation who have come to Christ recently, you, you came to Christ, I'm sure, through making some friends and being in the context of this church or maybe another church uh, and, and getting to know some people before you seriously considered the claims of Christ. Uh, so that is part of our strategy and actually been part of the strategy of the church since the beginning, uh, that the church is a community that welcomes people in and shows Christ through their love one for another and through the truth of God. Speaking of, uh, this morning we are in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. We're continuing the story that we've been following. Last time we learned about Jesus uh, being rejected at Nazareth. Uh, how they missed Jesus, really the very worst thing that could happen. And now the story turns. It actually started to turn a little bit at the last verse of last section uh, where it said that Jesus went out to the villages. And even though he's rejected at Nazareth, he continues the mission of going to the villages and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, that the reign of God has come, has come through God the Son and the, as Jesus Christ, uh, through his presence and ultimately through his death and resurrection, his victory over sin and death, that the reign of God has come, the good news has come, and he's going to the villages and he's demonstrating the reality of that reign through miracles and how he uh, delivers people from various afflic- afflictions. So at this point now, the story, though, changes. It turns a little bit. Jesus has been rejected at Nazareth. We're used to seeing Jesus going out to the village with his disciples kind of tagging along and, and learning from him. And, and it's been humorous at times to see what they do and don't do. And, uh, and they probably 
did better than I would do. Uh, we're not meant, they're not there for comic relief merely. They're there as a picture of us, uh, and, and we, um, we are often bumbling ourselves, and, and yet the Lord is gracious to call us to follow him. So we've been following that storyline, and now there's a new step. Now the disciples are going to be sent out. The disciples are going to be sent out to the villages. The disciples are going to be sent out to, to really be and do like Jesus. It's really a fantastic turn of events in the storyline, and really an inevitable one, because to follow Jesus To follow Jesus also means to be sent by Jesus as well. To follow him means to be sent by him. And and that is the nature of discipleship. The nature of knowing Jesus is to become like him and to be sent like him. Like he has been sent. And so that's really behind our story today. Let's pray and then we'll read the paragraph and then go from there. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this amazing story of your life your ministry, and your discipleship. Lord, how it feeds our souls, how we experience you in it. And we ask you, Lord, to do that, to speak to us in the power of the Spirit. I pray you you would use me, Lord. Help me. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to serve these precious people. I want to serve those who are maybe investigating Christianity as well, that they might see who you are, and they might hear your voice. So would you use me? Would you draw the attention to yourself and be glorified through it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Follow with me, starting in verse 7, going through verse 13 in chapter 6. And it says, And he called the twelve, and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. God's word from Mark chapter 6. This story is here in Scripture to illustrate the storyline in Mark and to show what actually happened, but it's also here to teach us some things as well as his church. To teach us what it means to really be a follower of Christ. Certainly these apostles are unique. These twelve are unique in in God's plans. They are significant leaders. And everything that they did is not immediately transferable to us. And there are aspects of this story that, for which that is true. But behind it, and, and really this book, the Gospel of Mark, was given to the early church in Rome. And behind it is God's instruction for the church, that early church in Rome. That church that was called to be amazed by Jesus and to follow him. And through this passage to understand it to be sent by him as well. And for the church in Greater Haverhill, this local church among many in Greater Haverhill, that we might learn as well what it, what it means to be amazed by Jesus, what it means to follow him, and what it means to be sent by him. The bottom line truth here is that Jesus sends us to complete his mission. Jesus sends us to complete his mission. He does this through a number of ways, and we can observe how he does it in this passage. 
He sends us in his authority. He sends us in teams. He sends us dependent on him for material provision. He sends us as agents of eternal consequences. He sends us to continue what he started. Five different things we can see from this passage, and you should have notes in your bulletin to follow along. Um, and I just encourage you, don't feel like you've got to grasp all five and remember it and memorize it and everything. Just listen, enjoy, uh, download the message later, maybe to go back over it to learn from these things. But we're going to go through these five different things so we can learn what it means to be sent by Jesus. First, Jesus sends us out in his authority. Sends us out in his authority. That's what happens here. It says in verse 7, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority. Gave them authority over the unclean spirits. It's important to understand how authority has been, has been operating in the Gospel of Mark and really in, in Jesus' ministry. His miracles. His miracles are about compassion for those who are afflicted. So it's about God's care for those who are going through difficult times. God cares about the 12 disciples when they encountered the storm on the lake and he wanted to rescue them from the storm. God cares about that man who had the thousands of demons and lived in terrible darkness. He cares about that man. God cares about the woman who had a disease for 12 years and had spent all her money trying to get a cure. He cares about her. God cares about that young girl and her family who was sick and then died. And we've read recently how in all these situations God came through and did wonders, did miracles. But those miracles are not just about God's compassion on people. They are also a demonstration, and perhaps even more importantly, a demonstration of the authority of Jesus Christ, that he has authority over storms. He has authority over nature. He has authority over demons in the spiritual world. He has authority over sickness. He even has authority over death. That's the point in all those miracles, that he has all this authority. That's so important to understand. And those miracles are to function for those individuals and for us as we read about them that we might see that he has authority and that through that we might put our faith in him. That's the point ultimately for us practically. What God wants is us to behold the authority he has and say, Jesus, I can trust you. If you have authority over all these things that I struggle with, then I can trust you to take care of my life. Ultimately, through that faith, we are connected with Jesus through a union with Jesus in faith, and we are connected to him and his victory over all these things, and his ultimate victory is his victory over sin and death. For at the end of the story, we're going to see he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross voluntarily. He goes to the cross to bear the sins of his people, these, these offenses, these evils that we have done against God and against one another. God is holy. God doesn't compromise. He's good, and he's just. And he must reward and punish sin with its right consequences. To be exiled from him, to, to be cast away from him in all his goodness and glory, and to, to be by ourselves. That's ultimately what happens from sin. That's what hell is. That's what life apart from the Lord is. It's, it's exile with all its misery from God. It's a horrible, horrible divorce consequence possible. That's what the consequence of sin. And for all of us who choose sin, which all of us do, that's the consequence that lies before us. 
And yet God in his compassion and glory wanted to rescue us, so he sent his son, God the Son, came and lived in the flesh, and he lived the life we're reading about, and then he went to the cross, and he took on himself on the cross our sins and paid the penalty to satisfy God's holy justice so that we could be forgiven for our sins and reconciled with God and now know eternal life. It begins the day you believe. And then he rose again on the third day victorious over sin and death, giving us this living hope that Phil talked about and that will be rewarded when he returns and finishes all things. So the miracles that we're reading about are not just about those miracles, not just about helping people. And the miracles he does today, and he still does these things. We have people in our midst who have been healed and perhaps delivered and so forth. But the point of those miracles is not an end in themselves, but to point you to Jesus that you might put your faith in him and experience the greatest miracle, being rescued from sin and death, forgiven and reconciled to God and, and made a member of his family as sons and daughters. So that's what's going on in this storyline, and that's what the Lord is calling us to as well, to see that he has authority to put our faith in him and to find our everything in him. That's background to verse 7. Because it says that he gives his disciples authority to cast out demons, to, to heal, to act as his agents in preaching the good news of the kingdom, to complete his mission. It's an amazing idea, it's ama an amazing truth that Jesus gives his authority to his disciples. I mean, these guys are like Mo, Larry, and Curly to some extent. And this is like, you know, taking Curly and say, Curly... Let me show you how to use a skill saw. Okay, you got it? Now go start cutting stuff. That's kind of what it's like. They're, these guys are being entrusted with Jesus' authority to go do stuff in his name. And the reality is that through them, the church as well is entrusted with his authority. And a lot of us, I'll just talk about myself, can be like Mo, Larry, and Curly. It's just amazing. Now, the good news with that is it's, we're quite, not quite like Mo, Larry, and Curly. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and God reigns over us, and he uses us. And he loves to show his strength and weakness. He loves to use those who in and of themselves are not competent, do not have the power, do not have everything together to use us to do his work. There is a myth that's perhaps just in our own hearts that's out there that I can begin, you know, doing the mission. I can begin sharing Christ. I can begin doing these things once I've got it all together. And maybe you're here today and you're just aware of how much you mess up. You're aware of how immature you are in spiritual things. And maybe you're thinking, well, I just, you know, God would never call me. He would never entrust the skill saw with me. I don't know what I'm doing. But that's not how it works. He calls you to go, even where you are. He's going to use you even where you are, even in your struggles, even in your weakness, to touch the lives around you as you trust in him. He's arranged it that way. He's chosen to use weak people to do powerful things so that he gets the glory and we put our faith in the one who is the only one who is worthy of our faith. So that's what's going on here. He's given them authority to go out and he's given us authority to go out in his name and to do his work. 
And that's important for us to understand. When we go out, we go out in his authority. When we seek to love our neighbors, we do it in his authority. When we come together and gather in his name and seek to build each other up in his name, we do that in his authority. He's here with us. And he's transferred that authority from the apostles, really, to the whole church. We, and as a local church, we have authority from him to do these things. That's important to understand. That's important for you to understand as you go and as you encounter things and challenges during the week to know that he sends you in his authority. He's there behind you. Now, if you went into downtown Haverhill Post Office Square this morning after church and just stepped into the middle of the square and started directing traffic, what would happen to you? You might get hit by a car, but you'd probably be hauled off to jail. They'd think you're drunk. What are you doing directing traffic? You're just a civilian. But if you went down into uh, downtown Haverhill and you were wearing a police uniform and you were a police officer, fully trained, and you stepped into that post office square and directed traffic, what would happen? People would do stuff. They would obey you. They would stop. They would go where you say. For us as Christians, we need to understand we are commissioned by the Lord. We are given authority in his name to step into our world and to direct spiritual traffic, so to speak. He calls us and commissions us to pray and to intercede and to bring the gospel and to make things happen in the spiritual realm that will happen. We have authority. It's Jesus, the same authority that can command storms and deliver people from demons and heal people and even raise the dead. And, and most importantly, proclaim the, the good news of the kingdom is the authority we operate in. So don't diminish your role wherever you are. As you are there at work or in your neighborhood or with your extended family, you are the agent authorized by God to do his work there. Be emboldened by that. Verse 7 also tells us that he sends them out two by two. There are 12 of them. That means there's six teams that go out. Now, in terms of efficiency, you would think they would cover a lot more villages if you send them out one by one, right? Twelve different guys, twelve different directions, just hit every village you come to. But God doesn't do that. He sends them out two by two. And, and really, uh, this, there's lots of reasons for this. But I would ground it in the, even the very nature of God. God is not one person. He's one being, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the nature of God to be in relationship. It's the nature of church to be called together in relationship. It's the nature of even being sent out on the mission to do it together. This is how God does things, and it's his pattern in Scripture. The idea, and perhaps it's just an American idea, a Western uh, civilization idea of kind of going it alone and being the lone hero is contrary to Scripture. Hear that. The idea of going it alone is contrary to Scripture. Going it alone through life, going it alone on mission is contrary to Scripture. The pattern, the prevalent pattern, the overwhelming pattern is to do it in community, to do it bare minimum of two or more. There are exceptions here and there, but there are exceptions. And so Jesus sends them out two by two to do the work. He sends them out two by two so that they might have the benefit of partnering together, that they might cooperate. They might even image God in the community that's there, even among two, to have the support, to have someone to carry the burden, to have someone to encourage and keep accountable, to be reminded of the truth and the authority that they have. And that's part of the reason they are sent out two by two, a big part. And God calls us as well to do his work in community, to do it at least two by two. If not more. And again, this is the pattern I could take a long time to, to teach from Scripture, how this is just very clear. 
And for us, this is why we do things in relationship. This is why we build relationally. This is why we have small groups. You could say, well, why not just come and worship on Sunday, then go your separate ways? And you could do that, but I don't think you're going to be as successful as the Lord would have you. So we come together in small groups. We come together in small groups for the purpose of walking together through life, encouraging one another in life, reminding each other of the authority we have, of what we have in the good news. We're, we're forgiven. We're made his own. We're empowered in him. And to support one another in mission together. As a kid, I can remember uh, going around uh, collecting money for different causes, uh, like Little League, Boy Scouts. I think our school did some sort of trip or something I had to do, I think, a walkathon for. Uh, and you had to go out in the neighborhood, and, and so you're, this is me at the age of 11 or so, uh, having to go up to doors and knock on doors to ask people for, for money for my Little League thing. And when you're 11 years old, that can be really terrifying because your 11-year-old and your 11-year-old boy's mind, you know, is filled with uh, creature double feature stuff from Saturday morning if you grew up with the horse shows and all that, and just who knows what's going to be behind that door and what that person's going to do and, or what doorman pincher's going to bite into your leg. And, and it was hard. The idea of going up by myself would have been really hard, but it was really helpful when I could go with my buddy. You know, I'd feel kind of silly going up to a door in my Little League outfit, you know. What's this all about? What's, what's the costume for, you know? But if I could go up with my buddy and have someone else there with me together, there's just a sense of, of a partner, a sense of legitimacy. And so that helped a lot to do that. Similarly for us, we're called to do things together. We're called to be a part of a team, and, and, and uh, our small groups are really a team. And I like that name, actually. I, we call our small groups care groups. And... Um, we got that name from our family of churches, and certainly they're about care. That's an important part of it. But I think they're really about team. They're really about being a team that, that encourages one another in the truth of the gospel and what we have in Christ, a team that walks through life together, and a team that does a mission together. Because our mission is to reach out to those around us, to bring the good news, to love others in his name. And so if we get around to changing care group names, I, I, would, I vote for team, some sort of team. And if you can think about what to call it, that's fine. I, I would just be fine like the, uh, we, we lead the Haverhill, the North Haverhill care group, the North Haverhill team. Sounds fine to me. But, but I like that idea, and that's really what's behind it, this idea of doing things together as a team. This is God's pattern. Next. Third point, Jesus sends us out dependent on him for material provision. Look in the story. It's actually amazing. Verse 8 through 10. He says, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. I guess they could have worn two you know, one for the next day or whatever. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. So they're sent out with nothing. No bread, no money, no lodging that they knew about ahead of time. They are sent out in a very vulnerable way to accomplish his mission. They don't know what's ahead. This is kind of like a kamikaze mission that they're being sent out on. Uh, They're going out and if you know the story of the kamikazes, one of the things that went on, I think this is as it progressed in, in World War II, 
They would send out the pilots. They didn't have enough fuel to get back. They would load up these planes with bombs, and, and then their, actually their landing gear would fall out once they took off. They would drop out, and so they couldn't land. So it was a one-way mission, and the purpose, of course, was, was warfare and to, to bomb the, the ships and so forth. And this mission is like a kamikaze mission because they're being sent out without any provisions. They don't have enough to, to last more than a couple days. They have no place to stay. He's sending them out. They're put in a position, I believe purposely, to depend on God and to demonstrate that God is with them through his provision. That's how they're sent out. Now, their mission was unique. They were sent out to, to the nation of Israel. The, the nation of Israel was... God's covenant people who were under the Mosaic Covenant and they were presented with the promises of God historically and now the fulfillment of all those promises was on the scene and it was the hour of decision for them. The hour of decision for the nation of Israel for the, for the covenant people of God at the time under the Old Testament. And Jesus was there with the good news of the kingdom so they were going out to, to bring the truth. It was an hour of decision, a unique mission for them. And part of the role, even their desperation and not having things, was because they were being sent out as prophets, in a sense, final prophets to the nation of Israel to call them to believe and repent. So there's a uniqueness here. But there is a pattern of how God works in this. God calls us on his mission and pretty much will never provide all the resources we need ahead of time. He calls us. He always makes sure that faith is part of the equation from my observations. He calls us to go not knowing. He says, go in obedience. Go share with your neighbor. You don't know their reaction. You don't know what's going to happen, but I'll be with you. Go, go leave your job and become a pastor and serve church planning without knowing what's going to happen, without knowing about my provision. Go get a different job. Maybe that pays less so you can serve in a different way, or maybe you're getting a job that's strategic and how it would seek to use your gifts to serve the kingdom. But maybe the provision you had is no longer there. That's how God works. He puts us in this vulnerable place that we might trust in him, put our faith in him, to wait on him. I have a friend who, who has taught church planting, and he, he teaches this principle. He, said the, he says the resources are in the harvest, in other words, as a church planner, when you start a church and when you do mission together, the resources that God's going to give you to continue, they're not given to you ahead of time. They're in the harvest. As people come to Christ, God will use them. God will use their resources to continue the mission. That's how God does things. He calls us to go not knowing. He calls us to take steps without previous provision. And he does this because he's totally faithful to give to us. He's totally faithful to meet our needs. He's totally faithful to provide for us. And he loves to show us that it's him who is at work. I love what he says, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 34. He's teaching the disciples, and really through them teaching us, he says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Go, not knowing how God will provide, but knowing a God who does provide. A God who provides the kingdom, who will be with you, who will use you. A God who meets your material needs. A 
God who takes care of his creation, therefore he'll take care of you. Worry about material provision can be a great hindrance to the mission. God calls us to put our faith in him and to go and to trust him. I love the examples of of many who have done this. Examples of the faith missionaries of the 1800s and early 1900s, men like Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, men and women like these, A.B. Simpson, Jim Elliott, who did incredible feats and experienced miraculous provision. I love reading those stories, and, and I probably shared this story many times, but I love the, just to give you a little vignette, George Mueller, a man who wanted to demonstrate that this principle is true. We can trust God. He wanted to demonstrate to other missionaries overseas that they needn't worry about provision. So he set up an orphanage as really a mission where he, he was in Bristol, England, to demonstrate it. And he did it. He ran, ran that, that orphanage by faith, trusting God for daily provision. And one day, they woke up, and there was no food left. There were 300 orphans. No food for breakfast, no provision. No hope in terms of just looking at material provision that they would have what they need. But George Mueller knew his God, and he knew his God was faithful. So he had the children gather at, at the tables, and he gave thanks for the food that didn't yet exist for them. Shortly after they prayed, there was a knock on the door. It was the local baker. And he said, I was up the night before. I just felt like God wanted me to make food for you. So I cooked, you know, three dozen batches of, of biscuits. Here they are. A few minutes later, another knock on the door. It's the local milkman. His, his wagon broke down right outside the orphanage. A wheel broke and fell off. And he said, I have this milk. It's going to go bad. Here's ten large vats of milk for you to have. God supplied their breakfast. And if you read the story of George Mueller, there's an example like that over and over and over again. Behind that story is this text. Behind this text is our God who's faithful. And, and our God calls us to trust him in mission, to trust him as we go forward, to trust him as we make decisions to serve his kingdom. He will be faithful. So we are to stop worrying and to be willing to take risks. Now, I'm not saying be irresponsible. We're to be good stewards. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But to not allow finances and security of provision to define our lives. You may be making good money and be exactly where God wants you, so I want you to understand that. But to be willing to say, Lord, wherever, whenever, however, I want to serve you. You want to reposition me in some way. If you want to call me to take a step of faith and maybe sacrifice what I've had, I will do that. And we can only do that because God is faithful and God will provide. He calls us to trust him and go forward. Trust him to provide. Trust him to meet our needs. Sometimes there can be a comfort in our schedule as well, not just our finances, that we're comfortable with how things are and our pace of life. And maybe you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, but maybe you need to consider, maybe I need to reschedule. Maybe I need to make small group a priority. Or maybe I need to free up time in my schedule so I can go serve an alpha. Or maybe I need to free up one night a week just to invite my neighbors over or go over and hang out with them. Is there something I can do that's different than my normal comfort level to better serve the kingdom, trusting that God will meet me and provide? Next principle. Jesus sends us as agents of eternal consequences. These 
apostles are sent. And it says in verse 11, And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. It's really an amazing role that these guys have. And this, this truth is uh, further filled out in the other synoptics. It talks about it will be easier on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those towns that reject you. That, that you guys are being sent as prophets of God to these towns. And if they receive you, they receive the blessing of God. If they reject you, they receive ultimately the judgment of God. That's what's going on here. These men are being sent out as God's agents under his authority, as agents of eternal consequences for these towns. It's, uh, a lot is at stake here. And we talked about that last week, Nazareth sadly missing Jesus. There were towns that missed Jesus. There were towns that received him. In a different way, a lesser way perhaps, we are also agents of eternal consequences. Because we are the ones authorized by him to bring the good news. We are the ones sent by him as his ambassadors to bring the good news to people. And depending on how they receive us, it it will depend Uh, It will determine where they go, how they spend eternity. That's amazing. Who is equal to such a task, Paul says in 2 Corinthians? To one, we are a fragrance of of life. Others, a fragrance of death. It's just an amazing role that we play. There's a sobriety there. God has placed you in your context, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, in your workplace as an agent of eternal consequences. And, and you're not the only one. You're not doing it alone. You're not like these guys. But in many ways, people hearing about Jesus through you might be their only opportunity to hear about him. And how they respond to you will determine their eternity. He sends you as an agent of eternal consequence where you are. He gives you the gospel. He gives you his love. And he sends you. We don't go in our own power. We don't go because we're competent. We go because he's with us. We go because we have a message that's powerful and has transformed our lives. We go because we have a message that will transform their lives. We go because we have a God who's powerful, can change the darkest heart and bring the light of truth to the people we go to. We go for all these reasons, but we go as really agents of eternal consequences where we go. And thank God his heart is one of mercy. For the Israelites, there was a long, long history of his mercy. Really thousands of years of his mercy and his patience. And he came to fulfill the promises. He was patient, but there was a a time really of judgment as those 12 apostles went out. And we know the storyline, some received, some rejected. God brought a degree of judgment. And he will, in the end, bring a, a further degree of fulfillment even for Ethnic Israel, I believe. Our role isn't quite the same. We live in a different age than right then. We live in this time where the gospel is going forward. God is looking to be merciful to people. And that's his heart. And we are to go as agents of eternal consequences with his heart. His heart that says in Scripture, Why will you die, O house of Israel? Our heart should be, Oh, we don't want to see you perish. Would you listen As we pray and intercede and share, he says, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. 
This is God's heart. This is to be our heart as we go, even as agents of eternal consequences, even knowing what hinges on our mission with God's hearts, with hearts of mercy. I love uh, what Charles Spurgeon says in, in light of this. I think we have a quote to put up. This should be our heart as we go as these agents sent by God. Spurgeon says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. As we go as his agents, that is God's heart. That is to be our heart. Do you need to wake up to the reality that you are agents of eternal consequences where you live and where God has placed you? And you are called to bring a witness of the love and truth of Christ and to have this heart. I need to wake up and see this. I need to live in light of this. I can only do it by His grace. I can only do it through His mercy. But to do it, I am called. And we are called. Even like the apostles were. Final point. Jesus sends us to continue what he started. It says in verse 12, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They went out and did the same things that Jesus had been doing. They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And as you read in the other Gospels, this call to repentance was in the context of the call to the Gospel, the call to the good news that the kingdom of God has come. And therefore, repent. The kingdom of God, your opportunity to be rescued from sin, your opportunity to live under God's good reign is here and present. Now is the day of salvation. Therefore, repent. Why not turn from your former way of life? Why not turn from addiction and sin and, and, and worldly ways and, and corrupt thinking? Why not turn from that? Why not turn from self-righteousness and false religion and self-will and self-determination? To Christ. Why not turn? The, the day of salvation is here, so repent and believe the good news. That's their call. They're called to do the same thing, and they're called to demonstrate like he did the reality of the kingdom through casting out demons, anointing with oil, and healing people. And they go and they do this. They bring the kingdom. They bring the truth of the kingdom, and, and wonderful things are done. And this mission is passed from them onto us. The same mission, the same things that he did, we're called to do as well. We're called to bring the truth of the gospel. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In other words, this gospel, this good news, will keep on going forth. This good news that you've seen me preach and live out, you're going to take it, apostles, and bring it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. You're to go out. They, they come to Jesus after he's risen thinking, okay, this is it. This is, you're going to come and restore the kingdom right now. And he says, it's not for you to know the time or the dates when that's all going to happen, but your job right now is to be my witnesses. Your job is to take the good news and go to all the nations. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have all authority in every way. I've died and I've risen. 
Go, therefore. Go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, replicate the same command. Make disciples. Go. You are called, we are called to go with this gospel as well. To complete his mission, to proclaim the good news, to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom through healing, driving out demons, so loving one another that people see that God is present among us. This is the mission we're called to. If the band could come up as we prepare to close. They were called to the same thing that we are called to. What would it be like to work for um, a pharmaceutical company that had discovered, say, a vaccine for cancer? What would it look like to be the sales rep that went out and distributed that vaccine? And what it would look like for you if there was a grant somehow, government, private citizens, or whatever, had created a grant so that could be made free for anyone to have who wanted it? What would your job be like? What would it be like to do that job? I would love to do that job. I would love to do it. I would just love to meet people and do all I can to convince them to get this vaccine because this was going to cure cancer, prevent them from ever getting cancer, that they would never have cancer to deal with. Their lives would be longer and perhaps richer and fuller in some way. What would it be like to have that, to have that as your job and to be able to do it for free? For us as believers, we have that job. We have a vaccine for sin and death provided for in Christ. It's free for anyone who wants it. And our job is just to tell people, to love them, to do all we can to convince them that this is true and they needn't be skeptical about it. We have to give them the conditions. There are some conditions they need to repent and turn away from their own ways and believe. But we have this job of this good news, this vaccine in a sense, to go forward. We have this mission. Jesus says, go and tell others about the gospel, the good news, so that they might receive. He sends us for this. He sends us to complete his mission. The mission he started, the same mission the apostles continue, we are given. This is our call. This is our commission. We are sent in his authority. We are sent in teams. We are sent dependent on him for provision. We are sent as agents of eternal consequences. We are sent to continue what he started. Let me ask you as we close. Will you go? Will you respond to his call? You may feel incompetent. You may feel weak. You may feel harried. But he is your strength. He is your provision. He is your king if you are a believer. If you are not a believer, he's calling you to come and trust and find him as your king and savior. And he calls you to go. And he commissions you calls you to go together. He calls you to go in these ways. He calls you to go where you are. He calls us as a church to go. Maybe you just need to take a simple step this week of going. Maybe just across the street with an alpha invitation. Somebody you've prayed for. Maybe you need to just take the step of inviting someone to hang out for coffee to enjoy some time together. Maybe talk about Christ or ways you can help them out. Maybe you need to be considering that God would call you to go to another city in New England to help start a church be at Manchester or Boston as we plan or other places. Maybe God would call you to go to somewhere in the world that is very uncomfortable and even hostile to Christianity. Will you go? 
Will you hear his call? Will you come follow this amazing Savior and King and help complete his mission? Let's consider that this morning. Lord, we hear in your word the call, the sending that goes for your apostles and the the implied sending for us as well. And Lord, we are weak and needy and you are strong. So Lord, would you call each and every one here to follow and would you send us each one to the exact place we can best serve you in your mission. We pray in Christ's name. So before we stand and sing as it is in heaven again, I just want to share a couple of things. One, uh, we had seen a, a special on George Mueller just the other night, so I know God's telling me something anyway. But uh, it was an interesting couple, couple of facts is that in his lifetime, he'd ministered to over 120,000 orphans. And during that time frame, he'd been given something to the, to the tune of $1.7 million had been donated to these orphanages where where he'd been ministering, and again, telling his, his wives, he'd been married twice, one died, one wife died, but we will not let anyone know of our need. And God, God miraculously met his needs, and even today there are multiple buildings in Bristol, England, as Paul was sharing, that, that are now like high-end residences and whatnot, but they're still a, a testament to what George Mueller had done.